You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. We thought it was the perfect time of year to talk about fitness because lots of us set goals to improve our fitness regime and our next guest can help you to do just that. Amber Brammer gave up her career in banking in order to become a fitness trainer and she's loving it with LoveFit. In 2008, fed up with her job in the city, Amber Brahma decided to set up business as a personal trainer. This sounds like it might have been a risky option because of course we were in the middle of a recession at the time. However, it appears to have paid off and Amber runs a successful business called Love Fit Limited. Thank you very much for joining us on Women Making Waves, Amber. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Let's start at the beginning. So, You studied languages at Cambridge University. Did you have a career path in mind when you were doing that? (laughs) That's a very good question. Do you know what? I didn't. When, When I went to university and applied to read languages at Cambridge, it was because it was something that I enjoyed. I loved being able to speak languages and I relished the opportunity of being able to go and spend that year abroad that you get as part of a four-year language degree. Mm -hmm. But at that point, at 18 years old, when I applied, I didn't have a long-term goal. I had a sort of sideline goal of getting into acting. It was one of the reasons I actually wanted to go to Cambridge, because I knew there's a very good drama um, scene at Cambridge. Mm -hmm. But my parents, although never hugely pushy, were not massively keen for me to go to drama school at that stage because they felt I should fulfil my academic potential. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I can, I can a... understand that because you were clearly bright. <laughs> you got into Cambridge, Allegedly. so... Yeah. yeah, I don't really know how, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> somehow that did happen. And so I agreed that, yes, I would, I would apply to Cambridge, but secretly with a, a hope to kind of have my name in lights there. So I did spend a lot of my time as an undergraduate in theatres. And actually, I did have a place after finishing um, or in my in my fourth year, I did have a place to go and study drama and dance afterwards um, at dance school and then turned it down because I got offered a job by the company that I ended up working for for five years and that I had worked for in Frankfurt on my year abroad. And it was one of those things my husband had. um, Well, my now husband, he wasn't my husband then. I met him acting, actually, but he um, was going to be reading PhD still in Cambridge and I figured we couldn't both be impoverished students <laughs> forever and I had this in inverted commas a good job offer on the table and I thought it would be mad not to do it and it was a job offer that would use my languages so that's how I ended up in banking and having worked for a, an investment bank on my year abroad but it wasn't really my long-term plan but not that I had a clear one other than that if I got a lucky break and I went to stage school I would love to have been in the West End but alas that did not happen but I did do a lot of lovely yeah you never know maybe it's not too late as I approach 40 now stranger things have happened they have Um, indeed you studied German I'm assuming from what you've told us yes yeah German and Spanish and and Ah. sort of linguistics yeah the, the kind of linguistic side of it rather than the literature side of it and the physical exercise clearly you were into dancing by the sound of it has that always been something that you'd enjoyed yes absolutely so I've always been a very active physical person I danced from the age of I think 
two, I went to my first ballet class and did that right through until my A-levels, did a lot of performance, did, did do some West End stuff you know, with my theatre school that I was with as a youngster um, and lots of dance shows and recitals and all that kind of thing and danced at the opening ceremony of Euro 96 and you know, lots of fun things like that. So mm. I had my time, but growing up as well, I was very sporty in school so I did a lot of county athletics and was on the you know the netball team and all of those kind of things um but yeah particularly athletics uh, I was a sprinter and a jumper and was just yeah one of the kind of the sporty kids shall we say and enjoyed that kind of side of it so it's always been there I guess but not at any sort of great accomplishment level either <laughs> so what happened in 2008 at that point what what drove you to setting up your own business it's quite a big step actually especially when you're in a you know a banking job and we know that they're usually you know that they're, they're good jobs they're, as your yes. parents would say it's a good yes, job it's a good job it's a good <laughs> job on paper there wasn't a kind of pivotal moment in 2008 it had been building I think I mean if I'm entirely honest, it had been building from the start. I think deep down, I knew that my dream had never been to sit in an office and do banking. But I did enjoy parts of the job. I loved getting to speak the languages. I worked with some really wonderful people. And I have to say that in spite of many things, I will never regret the five years I spent there. And it was, you know, a reasonably well-paid job. I wasn't one of the, uh, like the traders who earned the mega bucks or anything like that. But certainly as a graduate, I was on a, a decent salary um, with really good job prospects and was progressing well in my career. You know, it enabled me to buy my first house pretty much straight after university and then to move into our second home. And it kind of got us set up, shall we say. And I, I will always forever be grateful. So never regret the decision to do it. But from pretty early on, it became clear that the job was actually really very stressful and not very good for my health. I started getting really bad migraines very regularly. I was just not getting any time for myself at all. I was staring at a screen for long hours. I would get on the train at 5.25 from um, Water Beach, where I, I still live, to get in early enough to get to the gym to try and do something for me and then come home at maybe nine o'clock at night. Some days it might be 8.30, other days it would be 10. And if there was a problem on the train, it could be 11 or midnight or I didn't get home at all. That happened a few times in my five years there. Mm -hmm. um, and I just thought I, I knew I didn't want to move us to London. And the same, my, my now husband was doing his PhD at the time here. So, you know, moving closer was never going to be part of it. I just knew that deep down as much as I could see that if I stuck at it a bit longer, the financial rewards could be really good, but I also recognised that if I didn't get out sooner rather than later, those financial rewards would be too hard to step away from. Yes. And, you know, I, I think it was just a moment in time where I thought, if I don't act now, I'm going to be trapped because we'll get accustomed to certain things and a certain income. And I yeah. don't actually, I do want it, but I don't want the the side effects and I wasn't I had you know I was a very fit healthy mid 20 something with extremely high blood pressure and unexplained migraines and they sent me off for all sorts of scans and things and nothing came back and it really was put down to stress it came it came from that point of view and I guess from about a year before I left I'd been plotting my exit and wondered how much longer I should stick it out or not and then I kind of thought well what let's just break this down really simply what do I like doing Right. What are my enjoyments? I thought I love animals and I'm not going to retrain to be a vet, though. So that's off the cards. And, you know, let's think of an actual career path. And I thought, well, hold on. 
I love gym. I love going to the gym and being fit and sport and being active. And I have zero qualifications in this realm, you know, having studied languages, but actually I really find biology fascinating and I would actually quite like to just maybe get into a fitness career. Mm -hmm. So I had a personal trainer and so I chatted to him about it a little bit and found out a bit more what was involved and thought this would be a really good starting point. It might sound crazy to people that I'm going to leave a banking job to go and be a PT. You know, it conjures up sorts of images. And so I, I thought, well, I know for a fact that what I don't want to do is just go and get a generic PT qualification and go and work in a gym because that will not be satisfying. But I would like to see what I could do on my own. And so that was the plan. And I came up with that plan. And then I think late 2007, I started doing some of my basic qualifications and then did all my study on the train as I commuted back and forth every day, five days a week. You know, I was child free at that time. So I had quite a bit more spare time on my hands. So I then got my qualifications lined up and psyched myself up ready to have my notice in and then found that we were obviously in the recession. And I wavered for a brief moment. I think I held <laughs> I off imagine. for about a month. But I, I said to, to my, my partner, I said, look, is this actually crazy? Because he had got his PhD by then, but he hadn't found full-time employment. He was actually working as a, as a delivery driver for national car rentals at the time. And I was not sure if this was the time to be <laughs> saying goodbye. But then I thought, no, if I don't do it now, who knows what the future will hold? I'm going to do it. And that was that. So I resigned and just ignored everybody who told me that I was completely bonkers <laughs> and figured at worst, I will realise I've made a mistake and, you know, it really worst case scenario, I will be accepted back. If I, if I find myself a year down the line thinking this was stupid, I'll be able to go back um, to banking. And, you know, actually best case scenario, there could be a full time career here. And somewhere in between those things, at least I've tried something and maybe it pushes me into a different career path. Who knows? But I was I just went in really open minded and decided to see what occurred. <laughs> That's really brave, actually. Did you set up just with some individual clients and you, and you went and met up with them in, in the weekend? Or did you actually set up in a gym and advertise yourself? I didn't ever work in a gym, never have done. I set up individually. I got a website. I did some loose marketing, you know, did some leafleting, all of the things that you did back in the day. I think I wasn't even on Facebook on those days. So there were no Facebook marketing campaigns or anything like that. But I set up a website. I spoke to lots of local people to just ask to sort of spread the word. And so through a few contacts, I got my first couple of clients. And then I think I was very lucky that here in Cambridge, we were a bit of a bubble from the rest of the recession. And actually, quite quickly, I was able to get several clients on the book. You know, I had quite a few clients quite quickly. Um, when I first started out, I was converting our garage in our old home into a very small gym, just converting it, not sticking the weights in, the, you know, probably getting it um, converted and refurbed and insulated and, and made to look nice as opposed to just looking like a garage. So I had a small home studio that I used where I had a few bits of cardio equipment, some weights, kettlebells. And that's how it began. And then I was teaching classes from the off as well. That's when I did do a few bits at some of the local gyms. I did cover for, for other instructors. So I'd go in and 
cover a legs, bums and tums on aerobics class. And I also was teaching circuit training, which I then moved into sort of outdoor boot camp style things. But the business has really morphed over the 12 years, which I guess now I say it out loud, 12 years is a really long time. Yes. So it's probably just as well it's morphed. And, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it has definitely changed a lot. And you're a female only fitness business at the moment. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. When I started out, I wasn't. And in fact, ironically now, I trained more men than women um, to begin with. But it morphed into female only. Actually, quite quickly, I just realised that the people that were attracted to my business more were women. And a lot of my friends at the time were starting to have kids and they were asking me about what they could do when they were pregnant or after having babies and things like that. And I thought, well, this is something that I'm quite interested in. And then I think just slowly, my one-to-one male clients trickled off and I was getting more women into my general classes as well and fewer men. And then I thought, actually, this is where I feel like I'm, I'm in my element, I guess. I, Honestly, I can say hand on heart, men were more straightforward to train. <laughs> but I think part of the uh, something in me enjoyed the challenge of working with the complexities of pregnancy, postnatal, menopause and all of those things. And I just felt I obviously could relate to women more. And so I made the decision whenever it was to then become female only. That was quite an inspired move, I think, actually, to specialise in pre and postnatal exercise. But you hadn't been through a pregnancy yourself when you started you no. started doing that and do you no, think absolutely. that do you think that having now you know had a child do you think that that's made a difference in the way that you've taught your classes i do it's one of those things where it, yeah it's it's hard because i at the time i i started to specialize in pre and postnatal very early on almost from the off i went out within the first year and and got the qualifications for that and then since have done tons more qualifications and learning in that area but when I got those first basic anti and postnatal qualifications I was aware that all the women that I would train who then fell into that category would maybe question the fact that I hadn't been through that myself and as much as I was absolutely qualified up to the eyeballs and absolutely had no doubt in my abilities I do now five and a half years into the parenting journey myself realized that what I do have now is just heaps of empathy Uh Um, and I think that makes a big difference just understanding what it's like understanding how different it is and obviously having trained so many women now who've gone through this and seen a vast array of different scenarios that women go through during their pregnancies and, and post having children well we don't expect our midwives to have had children necessarily and many of them haven't so quite it's you know it, it, it's not it's not something if you were pregnant and going to a class that you'd maybe think about asking but I think you're right it's the empathy and once you've been through labor yourself you suddenly understand what women are talking about when they're talking about yes. labor so it's yes. the, the whole thing the whole package from beginning to end once you've experienced it yourself yeah you, you know what, it's, yeah. what it can be like are you still a general fitness coach as well? Are you, are you now just purely working with uh, expectant and, and post-pregnant uh, women? No, so I don't only train those women. They do form a large part of my client base. I teach classes in the week that are specific for pregnancy and another class that is specific for postnatal. And by that, I mean it's sort of the early postnatal first, first year phase. And then quite a large number of my one-to-one clients would also fall into that category. But... 
I'd say at least 50% of my one-to-ones maybe do not fall into that category. So I have plenty of one-to-one clients and in my more general classes, women who have never had kids or haven't yet had kids or have, but they're now, you know, postmenopausal themselves and they've maybe even got grandkids. So I do train a broad spectrum. So it's very much sort of women at every stage, but I kind of consider myself a go-to for pre- and postnatal expertise. You also run boot camps, which always sound absolutely terrifying to me. <laughs> yes. Well, that's why I think three years ago I changed from actually calling it boot camp and I changed it to WOW, the Women's Outdoor Workouts. Um, uh, that's much I nicer. Because I found that I was constantly saying, come to Love Fit Boot Camps, but not really a boot camp, not shouty, <laughs> not military. <laughs> And I, I was like, why am I having to justify this name? This is ridiculous. Why am I calling it boot camp if I feel like I need to say, but it's not like that kind of boot camp. And also... Maybe you should realize... call it stiletto camp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that sounds even more frightening, actually, when I think about it. Yeah, com- comfy flat camp. I don't yes. know. <laughs> and I, at the same time, I didn't want to undermine it and make it sound like it was really soft because it absolutely isn't. But I, I thought... For people who the term boot camp conjures up images of military men making you, you know, do press ups in the mud and standing over you and all those stereotypes. I thought I don't want to put those people off. Boot camp doesn't feel befitting anymore. What is it? It's outdoor working out for women. And I was like, oh, well, wow. I'm just going to call it wow. It's called Love Fit Wow. And That's people great. have slowly adopted that. And some of my ladies who've been coming for years still refer to it as boot camp. And even I do sometimes because it is boot camp style exercise. But yeah, I moved away from that sort of branding um, <laughs> to soften it a bit and go, This, that, I'm not going to be screaming at anyone, but we are going to be out in the rain like we were last week, um, getting soaked if that's what the weather's doing. And we are going to be working hard, but we are very much having a laugh and working together. For some people, that's not the environment they want. They want to train where somebody is going to be standing over them saying, go on, you can do more. And you feel like you're going to throw up. And that's great, but actually it's not how I work as a trainer and so I would rather attract the women who don't want that either and I'll be the trainer who's standing there saying right I want you to try this but if you can't here's your next option down and you so and so because of your knee injury I want you to do this and I'll be kind of going around and making sure everybody feels comfortable and if ever you look at a big group of us doing a particular exercise there's usually three or four different variations of the same thing happening to make sure that everybody is comfortable and nobody ever feels like they're being judged and I for me, that's yes. a really important part oh, really of important. making people feel welcome. If someone to... feels embarrassed and mortified once, they're unlikely yeah. to come back, I think. To come back, exactly. So for me, that was more the kind of ethos I wanted to create, was that it wouldn't be a, I'm going to be the one that will push you to your absolute limits. But equally, if I can see, you know, I get people in class who are more that way inclined, I can absolutely give them the nudge. But it, yeah, I, I just felt for me, I wanted to make it a really welcoming Mm-hmm. environment how have you coped with covid have you gone online like many people have yes i have i'll be honest i was hugely resistant to it at first because my business has always been very much about the face-to-face and the opportunity to talk with people and i have you know one-to-one training sessions where sometimes we don't do any exercise we sit and we talk and maybe somebody's got some tears to shed or in classes I'll stay behind and chat to somebody about something and, and so the thought of going online felt 
just not very nice and also we are currently living in a very small rental accommodation because we're building a house and I honestly just thought well it's literally impossible I don't have a space in this house I, I literally don't there's nowhere I can run my business from and if it hadn't been for the build and the fact that I need to pay for it I would have considered taking some time out and just saying to my women look I'll be back when this thing has blown over I mean thank goodness I didn't because who knew that it was going to be as, as long-term as a feature as it is. Yeah. So I just thought, well, I'm going to have to give this a go because I can't afford not to. And maybe this is going to be really important for my women. And I'm not Miss Technical um, at all. So I was a little bit worried about it working. But we did some shuffling around in our very small sitting room, basically created a very small space from which I could have a blank wall behind me. The only downside is, um, and it's a comedy feature of all my sessions that all my women are now very familiar with, is this giant red egg chair that has to be part of all the sessions because I literally have nowhere else to store it. And it looks like some kind of big brother chair. Um, but it's just become a feature. And we all, we all just accept that the chair is part of our workout. And there it is, hogging the screen. Um, That's quite no, so fun, I, I, though. Yeah, it is fun. And, you know, every, everybody's been so understanding. I think I was really worried that, especially as an established business, that people would think that my online offering wasn't going to be up to scratch because I didn't have this beautiful studio to do it from or even a, a glamorous kitchen to do it in. And I was in this tiny, ugly carpeted space um, teaching bar using one of my big clunky chairs as a, as a bar and that people would think, well, that's not what I signed up for. And I think what I quickly became aware of is that people don't care. They, they come because they enjoy mm -hmm. your teaching Mm -hmm. and the music and how it makes them feel and actually in lockdown in, in a true lockdown right at the beginning it was a complete lifeline for everyone but also yeah. for me I and I said this to the women I said you know what I'm so glad I gave this a go because I think without my connection to you I would have felt so miserable so having you guys pop up on my screen and we have such a laugh about stuff you know in the early days I'd be like right normally I'd be handing out some light dumbbells now go to your cupboards what have you got? If you don't have a dumbbell and people would be bringing up their, you know, their sweet corn or their can of beans <laughs> or their water bottles. And we'd, we'd have a little five minute bit at the beginning of every class comparing, you know, who had the classiest item in their, in their <laughs> cupboards that they were going to do their, their arm section of their class with. And just hilarious sort of interruptions from other people in, in the house, you know, toddlers running in, cats, other housemates, whatever it is, you know, there's all, and it's, it's made it really real again and relatable. And I think it's, it's really brought everyone together in a way more than before. And actually with my one-to-one -one clients as well, some of whom I've trained for literally like 10 years, they've only ever come to me and suddenly I'm there and I can, I can see where they live. I've not seen them, you know, and, and it's, it's just little things like that. And it's been really good. And the best outcome was that a lot of women who had left Cambridge and now live, you know, from London to the Lake District to Abu Dhabi and even Australia, have all joined the classes mm -hmm. online because they can. And that has been amazing. Well, it sounds like that decision that you made to leave that job in the city, in the bank, in 2008, has been the best thing that you've ever done. It sounds like you're really enjoying it. I do love it. I really do. I, yeah, I mean, people always ask me, do you miss what you used to do? I'm like, no, I really don't. I I maybe miss the salary I'm not going to lie <laughs> even 12 <laughs> years into the business it's not the same um but I 
absolutely do not regret that decision. And I, I do feel, this sounds really cliched, but I feel hugely privileged to work with women at all these different stages in their lives. It's, it's honestly lovely. And so I would be lying if I said it didn't come without stress and that I don't find parts of it really difficult from time to time but I do I love it I love this line of work I love spending time with my women and I I love just being able to help them if someone is listening and they're interested in joining you how do they get in touch with you Amber oh thank you Linda yes it's um www.lovefittraining.com and that's love fit training is all one word and um, that's the easiest place you can then view everything on the website um and there's an email address on there you can also find me on most socials um, under Love Fit Women's Wellness. And we'll be putting all of that on our website as well. Oh, thank Amber you. Brahma, it's been really interesting and really lovely to talk to you today. I love hearing how people start their businesses and um, and, and evolve. And it sounds like uh, you've had a, had a great time doing it. So thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Linda. It's been great talking to you. Well, Linda, I thought Amber Brammer took a huge step in 2008 from going from banking into this particular area and doing Love Fit. I mean, what an amazing decision to make in 2008. I know. It has been of a recurring theme actually with some of our recent women making waves that they've had these you know top-notch jobs that, that that pay them quite a lot of money and they have chosen to sort of go their own way and do their own thing and never looked back and really really enjoyed it I think she's the second person in a few weeks that uh, that's done something very similar to this and I, my hat goes off to them because it takes a heck of a lot of courage it does <clears throat> I also think I, I'm I'm fascinated by the thought process when somebody makes a decision. So I wonder how much thought process has gone on before actually making that decision. I know. I agree. I wonder if you can overthink it when it's something that you really love. I guess that's easier. So, well, I yeah. guess it's essential, in fact. It's essential. Yeah. If you're going to give up a job like that, it has to be for something that you absolutely love doing. I think you're right. I, I, it's passion, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's passion. But I think that is the key, isn't it? Knowing that you have got something in the background that you want to bring forward into your life and instead of starting from new. I don't think anyone would be sensible enough to give up a job and think, right now, what are we going to do next? Mm-hmm. So I think you do have to have that plan, don't you, that's always in the back of your mind yeah. and it's just moving it in the right direction. So, yeah, hats off to Amber. I thought mm-hmm. she was fantastic. Yeah, she is yeah, very motivated and I'm, I'm I can imagine she'd make a brilliant fitness instructor. You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio.